Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys? Well, you should be better than that with weather like this. It's awesome, isn't it? I think all the rain just magnified the beauty of suns, sunshine, right? It's just been amazing. Well, I am very glad um, to be with you this morning. My name is Mike Gakey. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the third week. Is that right, Ryan? I think we're in the third week of our series called The Last Night. Um, if uh, you would like to turn to the passage Kaylin just read, it's in John chapter 13. That's in the New Testament. It's about, if you go to halfway in your book, basically, and go to the right, um, you will find, keep going to the right, keep going to the right, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the book of John, John chapter 13. The series the last night is, uh, it's really been neat. I, Ryan opened this a couple weeks ago and, and this picture that he gave of the, this, this last night, this is Jesus's last night, his, he goes, before he goes on to what we will celebrate Easter weekend, his, he goes on to dying on the cross and then being raised from the dead on Easter Sunday that we celebrate and commemorate on Easter Sunday morning. And just reading these chapters with this thought that Jesus knew exactly what was coming and he is speaking to his best friends. He, he even calls his friends in today's passage, his little children. And, and just for me, just thinking if I knew that I had a certain specific small length of time left with my kids, especially my kids at the age they are now, what, how intentional would I be with what I shared with them in those last moments. And as I've been reading just as in these weeks, been reading over and over these chapters, starting at verse 13 in this, or chapter 13 in this thought of how intentional Jesus was his last night with what he wanted to leave and impart to his friends. Um, and then also to us through his word, um, it, it is weighty. And it, it, if you read it with that thought, it, it changes the way you read these sort of familiar passages. As I was thinking about today's passage, I, I was reminded of a, um, a young man years ago. Um, he attended here just briefly. Um, and this guy, he was kind of a funny guy, but he was trying so hard to be uh, what I would say is just like a prototypical San Francisco hipster. He was all cool, certain topics or certain phrases into conversation. He always had a cup of coffee in his hand from a cool coffee place. He wore one of those baggy knit hats, you know, that you could put your lunch in or a small child. <laughs> he wore flannel. He had a vest that was clearly uh, vintage, discarded from someone's three-piece suit. He rolled his skinny jeans up to show off his clunky boots. He tried to grow a mustache unsuccessfully. But he would tell you in conversation, he would say, well, you know, I'm a hipster. And I remember thinking, if you have to tell people you're a hipster, you're probably not one. And, and I thought about that as, as, as I was looking at this passage, this, this guy really, it just wasn't who he was. He wanted to be something, but it wasn't really who he was. And he really wasn't fooling anyone. Today, Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples. And as he does, he cuts beneath the surface of what the disciples might have thought a follower of Jesus was supposed to look like. And he tells them that people will know, he tells them exactly how people will know that they are who they say they are. And he tells us this morning too. 
No matter how many exterior affectations of Christianity that we may put on, no matter what we might say about being a Christian, it is our love for each other that identifies us as knowing, loving, and following Jesus. So let's see what he has to say for us this morning. So today, thank you, Kaylin, for reading our passage this morning. Um, It starts here, it says, when he had gone out, so let me set the stage for this a little bit. Last week, Ryan taught us about this this picture of Judas and Judas's betrayal that that was um, begun at what we would call the Last Supper. It's It's a powerful sermon. I encourage you all, if you weren't here last week, to listen to that sermon. Every one of us should force ourselves to reflect on what Ryan taught about last week. It was profound. And if you listen, you'll hear Ryan sing. So uh, I thought of it, to one-up him, I have prepared an interpretive dance for later in the I'm kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. My kids are like, oh my gosh. No, I promise. But, but here's what happened right before this. So right before this, they're, they're eating together. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And then, then John asks him, who's it going to be? And he identifies Judas. And then he, he says, Judas, you need to go do what you're going to do. And he, Judas, the trusted treasurer of the group, leaves and, and, and runs out to do whatever Judas is supposed to do. And it was a powerful, probably shocking moment for the disciples. Remember, John was there sitting next to him. John is the one who's writing this. Um, and right after that, we see these words in verses 31 and 32. He says, when he had gone out, when Judas had gone out of the room, so immediately after the betrayer has been identified and leaves the room, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. He says, now is the son of man glorified. Now, the plan has been set in motion. Judas has left the room to do his business of betrayal. The culmination of all that Jesus came to do is in sight. The first step to the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection has been taken. It's a powerful moment. And then in verse 33, he says this, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. That phrase when he says in 33, he says little children is a powerful and important phrase. That language is important that nowhere else in the New Testament do we see the word there, the Greek word that means little children. We see the word for children, but this word little children is important and it is vivid. It is tender and it is relational and it is paternal. And when you think of all that is happening in this moment, it is an incredibly um, emotionally charged word. It's such an important word and it just magnifies then what comes after it in verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What Jesus is saying here, if you look at all of this in context, he's saying, In the past, you have been identified by physically following me. We see it when Peter denies him later in in a few chapters. 
What do they say? We've seen you with him. Aren't you one of his disciples? In the past, it was a physical connection with Jesus that identified them. But now he says, after I leave you, it's going to be different. And he's saying, basically, I'm going to tell you what will primarily identify you as being a follower of me. Not your words, not your works, not your morality. Those things are still a part of what it means to follow me. But the unique thing that I have called you to is this, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is talking here to his disciples. And we see call to love the law word. We see this call to love uh, our neighbor and, and everyone. We see call to love the lost. We see a call to love the world. But here he says, the way that all people will know that you follow me is that you love each other. The way you love other people who also follow me. Again, I don't want you to hear me saying that any of his other commandments don't matter. In fact, they are all very important. Right after this in chapter 14 and in chapter 15, he says that Jesus says, if you really love me, you will keep all of my commandments. This doesn't mean that our morality or the way that we deal with our money or the care that we give for the sick or the lonely or the poor or the marginalized, any of those things, it doesn't mean those things don't matter. But Jesus, on his last night with his disciples, with his friends, with these people he calls his little children, with the people to whom he will delegate his mission on this earth, he doesn't talk about any of those other things. It's as if he is saying here, if you do everything else that I have told you to do, but you do not love each other as I have loved you, the world will not see me in you. The world will not identify me with your actions. They won't see that you follow me. Another way to say that is our love of each other is a proof It is a good, reliable piece of evidence of our discipleship. Discipleship is a big word, and some people may think only certain Christians are actually disciples, but that is not true. To be a Christian means that we follow Christ, and to follow Christ means that we are a disciple. There's a group of us working here um, to, to really dig into and, and, and to kind of look at what it means um, to be a disciple and to, to be a, a church that, that is, uh, has a discipleship culture. And we have this working definition that we're working on right now of what it means to, to be a disciple, and it's this. A disciple is a forgiven sinner who is submitted to Jesus, is being changed by the Holy Spirit, and is joined in the Father's work of making disciples. And if you say that you are a Christian in this room, you are a disciple, or you should be. Jesus says, your love for each other is good, reliable evidence to the world that you are submitted to me, that you are a disciple of me. There are several things in these familiar passages that I think we need to really process and get this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus here is commanding a new way to love. Jesus calls this a new commandment. But I think we all would go, well, haven't we heard this before? We've heard this call to love one another. We've heard call to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've heard this before, but but there's something new about this 
that we read in this passage. And the new part of this is that Jesus is giving us a new way to love. What does he say? You need to love each other as I have loved you. And to love this way, we have to have received that love. We have to at some level have grasped the love of God for us. We have to at some level been transformed and continue to be in a process of transformation by the love of Jesus in our individual hearts and our collective hearts as the church of Jesus Christ. We cannot just mimic Jesus. John also wrote three letters that are found later in the New Testament, the, the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In 1st John in particular, and, and it's kind of interesting when you think he was sitting next to Jesus when Judas left, and he was right there when, when Jesus said this, how powerful and impactful that must have been for him. But in 1st John, he seems to really get into and hone in on this whole idea of what it means for us to love each other. The new character of this commandment is explained I believe in more detail in 1 John 2, 9 and 10, where, where John says this, whoever says he is in the light, so whoever says he is saved, whoever says he is a Christian, whoever says he follows Christ, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. As Christians, and this is what makes this new, as Christians, we are not just mimicking the light. Christians, us, those of us who say we follow Christ are in the light. We are in the light and the love of Jesus. Jesus is about to, as we're reading through the book of John, he's about to go to his death. He is about to lay down his life for us. And then he's about to be raised by God from the dead. And in his death and in his resurrection and in our surrender to him and in the resulting indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we receive at the moment we enter into relationship with him, in all of that, it means that we no longer just see him as an example. It means that we are united with him. And the love that we share with our brothers and sisters in Christ is actually the love of Jesus that now lives in us. Jesus said in John 15, nine, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. Our love is not an imitation of Christ. Our love is a reflection of Christ. We do not imitate his love. We participate in his love as we abide in him and as he lives inside of us. It is this, this whole newness of this, what, what Jesus is trying to convey here is incredibly powerful and it is incredibly empowering because we cannot live love like Jesus loved without the power of Jesus and Jesus living inside of us. And it is why when we love this way, the world sees our connection with Jesus in a new and in a powerful and in a real way. Jesus is commanding a new way to love. 
We also need to see in this passage that Jesus' love for us is unique and it is multidimensional. Jesus' love for us, contrary to popular belief, contrary to what the culture says, is not a sentimental love. It is not a saccharine or an icky, sweet kind of love. I've said this before often, that God is love, that is true, but God is not an enabler of bad or destructive or sinful behavior. To love like Jesus is not simply to affirm people in their sin, which is often, I think, how the world looks at love. What the world says love is, is we just need to celebrate and accept what anybody feels or does, what anybody is doing. But Jesus's love is evidenced and revealed in all of the complexities of the very real relationship that we who know him have with him. Sometimes his love is soft and sometimes his love is stinging. Sometimes his love encompasses both affirmation and rebuke. His love can comfort us and his love can challenge us right at the exact same time. His love can release us and his love can contain us. So like his love for us, the love that we have for each other should also bear those same complexities of a very real relationship. And there are so many characteristics of how Jesus loves us. But I wanna share a few with you this morning that I think, I just think we need to be thinking about this because we need to think about how he loves us if we are gonna know how he has called us to love each other. Jesus's love is sacrificial. We are called then to love each other with a sacrificial love. In just a few chapters, we are going to, to see the greatest characteristic of his love when he voluntarily goes to his death on the cross to die in the place of his friends, to die in our place. A few passages later, it says this in John 15, 12. First of all, he has reiterated this command that he made to, for us to love others as, um, as he has loved them. And then he says this, greater love has no man than this that somebody lay down his life for his friends. And I realize it will probably be uh, very unlikely that we will ever actually be called to die for someone. But it's a good thing. I, I know personally, I don't even like to give up my nap time for someone. <laughs> but, but that is what God is calling us to do. He is calling us to love each other. He says, you love each other sacrificially in the same way that I loved you. And maybe the thought of laying down our lives is so dramatic that we just fly right over it, but time, our preferences. What about me sacrificing my time? What about sacrificing your preference for, for what kind of music we play at our church or the style of our worship services? What about sacrificing your preferences for church structure? What about personally in your relationship, just giving up your preference for the food that you want to eat or the movie you want to see or the games you want to see or how you spend your free time? What about just sacrificing your preference for the type of person you just naturally like to be around? I wonder for how many of us in this room 
what, what our answer would be if we ask ourselves the question, when is the last time I actually sacrificed something important to me for one of my friends? Jesus' love is also selfless and unconditional. In our human state, we are constantly fighting for ourselves. And in our flesh, I'm really not sure that any of us could actually love someone unconditionally. But Jesus' love lives in us. And he has called us to a selfless and unconditional love. And as a sinner, one of the most powerful things that we know about Jesus is that he loves us no matter our flaws. He loves us no matter our faults. He loves us no matter our failures. He does not love us because of what he can get out of relationship with us. He loves us because of what he gives us in relationship with him. In the words of the great old hymn, he loves us just as we are without one plea. He loves us whether we reciprocate his love or not. Jesus did not use his friends. He loved them, even though they were, by and large, a group of fools. And they weren't just foolish and frustrating. We're going to see several instances in the next few chapters where they actually hurt him. And to love like he loved us means that it is not about us or about what we can get out of relationship. In Matthew 26... The disciples are jockeying for position and they're trying to figure out what they're gonna get out of this deal and they're trying to earn something. And he tells his disciples this. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To love each other like Jesus loved us, we love selflessly and unconditionally. And the way to catch yourself, the way I catch myself in this very often is I ask myself this question, what is motivating my love? What is fueling my love for someone else? Jesus's love is a forgiving love. If we are going to love each other like Jesus loved us, it means we have to learn how to forgive. When Jesus was asked how often we must forgive someone who wrongs us, he said in the book of Bob chapter one, only as long as it is reasonable for you to avoid getting hurt again. I just made that up. There's no book of Bob. That is absolutely not what he said. Peter asks him, how many times should I forgive my brother who sinned against me? And he says, should I even, could it be as many as seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven. You need to forgive your brother 70 times seven. I remember once uh, with one of my friends, he he was a friend who had repeatedly hurt me and I was wrestling with whether or not I should forgive him yet again. And I was thinking along very human terms, is it smart to forgive this guy? Am I setting myself up to be hurt again? And in my quiet time, just on my own, just without even thinking about that, I read the book, I was in Ephesians and I came to Ephesians 4.32 and it says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And that phrase hit me hard. I realized I repeatedly offend God. 
I repeatedly require his forgiveness. I do the exact same stupid stuff over and over again, and he is faithful to forgive me every single time. And I realized at that moment, God was calling me to forgive my friend, and I chose, okay, I will forgive him again. And forgiveness didn't immediately restore the relationship. Sometimes forgiveness does not restore a relationship. But what it did is it helped me see my friend and all of his weaknesses in light of my own weaknesses. It gave me a right perspective of him. It helped me release all my demands on him to be something that I had to admit I wasn't myself. And over time, I realized that the pain and the hurt of the event that I forgave subsided. I remember realizing I see him and that doesn't even pop in my head. God did restore the relationship. Eventually, uh, we, we became close again and I would count him among my closest friends today. And you know what? He still often does things that compel me and require me to forgive him. I am pretty sure I am close to 70 times seven with him. <laughs> Jesus' love is compassionate. He gets our struggles and our sins. It says in Hebrews 4, He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And in that sympathy, he says, I welcome you. He he draws us to the throne of his grace for help. Our love for each other should be compassionate too. And that compassion is not something we conjure up. Compassion should be born out of our own awareness of our own struggles and temptations and weaknesses. Jesus's love can be confrontational and correcting and challenging To be compassionate does not mean we ignore hard things. Jesus was constantly calling out his disciples for wrong thinking or for wrong behavior. He was calling them out for things that weren't in line with who they said they were. He was calling them out for things that he knew if if those things went unchecked, they would hurt them and hurt other people in the end. And Jesus' teaching to his disciples was the most challenging teaching that he made. I I did a study one time of this. I I, I looked up every time Jesus speaks to his disciples. And over and over, his teachings to them are primarily these sort of teachings. Something along these lines. If you are going to be my disciple, if you're going to claim me as your savior and follow me, you have to leave all. You have to die to all. You have to endure all. And you have to serve all. Part of loving each other is at times challenging people's worldliness, challenging their comfort, challenging the fear that might be controlling their obedience, challenging their unwillingness to die to themselves and and to surrender their lives to the one who they say they have given their lives. I'm reading through Mark right now with a group of guys. We just finished chapter eight. In one chapter, chapter eight of Mark, Jesus does this three times to his disciples. He calls them, calls out the disciples' hard hearts. And then right after that, he challenges their mindset, their focus on things of God rather than, I mean, on things of man rather than things of God. And then right after that, he reminds them that to follow Jesus means losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. That's one chapter of the book of Mark. If you have no friends who are willing to challenge you, and no friends willing to receive challenge from you. you. You may not really have any friends. Jesus has 
given us this incredibly diverse, multifaceted love that we are called to give other people as well in our relationship with him. He has given us a unique, multidimensional love. He has commanded us a new way to love. And then finally, from this passage, we see that this love must be visible. Jesus didn't say that we are to love each other because it's really sweet and it will um, help us all get along better with each other. He didn't say we should love each other within the four walls of a church fortress hidden away from the world. He said that our love of each other is how all people would see that we follow him. Our love within the metaphorical walls of Christianity is to be a witness to the good news of Christ to the world outside of the walls of Christianity. I think we saw this at Carol Fest. Um, I remember people coming to Carol Fest and, and they were, you know what jumped out at them? They saw the way that our servant leaders were interacting with each other. The fun they seemed to be having working together. Something in what they saw in our relationship and our interaction with each other spoke something to them. But I think sometimes we like to keep our Christian lives sort of to ourselves and and keep them segmented from our lives with the world. And I don't think that is what Jesus is talking about here. We should be mixing our church friends with our school friends. We should be mixing our Christian friends with our work friends. We should be mixing our community groups with our neighbors. How else will the world know of our love for each other unless they witness it? We can't just live in a Christian box. Jesus prayed a prayer, and we'll study this in a couple chapters in chapter 17. Jesus prayed a prayer to God on our behalf. It's beautiful. But he says this, he's talking to God about us. And he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The love that we show each other out in the world, when we love each other and people see it, it is different than the love that the world shows each other and the world even shows us. It is different. The sweetest human love cannot compare to the love that Jesus calls us to and that Jesus empowers us to. This love that he has called us to for one another, the love that we can't even think of doing on our own without him in us, that is so different because the love that we are showing is the love of Jesus. Others may try to imitate that, but we, as I said before, as his followers, are participating in it. Jesus's love cannot be replicated because Jesus cannot be replicated, but our love for each other is not a replicated love. It is his love through us for each other. And our love for each other must be public. We've got to learn how to integrate our different worlds. I always try to be really honest as I preach. I, I, um, I struggle often with things that are convicting to me or, or things where I feel um, that I'm not adequate or that I, I'm, I might be being hypocritical. And I want to be honest with you this morning that I struggled so much 
with this message because I struggle so much with loving like this. I was troubled all week with the reality that I was about to preach a message that I'm not sure that I am living. And I thought of so many ways that I fall short in loving you like this and loving my family like this. And my first instinct when I feel those kind of things is that I wanna make it right. I wanna run out and do something sacrificial. I wanna run out and do something selfless. I wanna run out and do something compassionate. But I knew that, that if I just did that and I might create a box for myself, a loved well box that, that my action might be able to help me feel good about checking off, I knew as I was struggling with this that God was showing me that my real problem was in my heart and that I had a hardness in my heart of the love of Jesus for me. I struggled with this preparing all week. I got home Thursday night. And Thursday night, we received on our front porch this incredibly generous gift from some Christian friends. And it was the type of generosity that honestly made me feel uncomfortable. But God brought this message to my mind. And, and I realized as I let myself receive the gift, I realized that these, through these friends' selfless, sacrificial gift, Jesus was loving me. Friday morning, I got up to go for a run and I just prayed before my run. I said, God, just fill my heart. Remind me of the, of the very real way that you love me and have loved me. And I was running and almost instantly, I was taken back to 22 years ago on the floor of a dingy garage apartment. I was separated from Stephanie. I was stuck in this mire of sexual sin and of a screwed up, messed up identity. I was stuck in the middle of this selfish, humanistic theology, and I was so broken. And God didn't show me all the things I was doing wrong. Honestly, I think he knew that I knew all the things I was doing wrong. But he pierced my heart with three simple words to my soul. I love you. And I knew he was calling me home, calling me home to Stephanie, calling me home to himself. And I argued with him over and over again. And all he did, all he did over and over was speak into my soul. I love you. And the magnitude of the love at that moment saved me. And it changed me. As I was running, it just, I was so grateful and just so overwhelmed by just this memory of how he extended his love for me. And David had shared this week about a song that we're singing on Easter Sunday called Love Was Arrested. And it happened to pop up on, happened to pop up on my Spotify playlist at this exact moment. And as I was thinking about the love that I received, these words were so powerful to me. I just wanna read them to you from Death Was Arrested. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope, no place to begin, your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My mourning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance when death was arrested and my life began. Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame has a, was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt. He called me his friend. 
when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. And I wonder in this room, if you know that love for yourself, have you experienced that love? Maybe you have no relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never even heard about that and you need it today. But maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but you've never really contemplated the depth of the sacrificial, selfless, unconditional, forgiving, compassionate love of a savior who bore your penalty on a cross and died a horrible death so that you could not just be in relationship with him, but so that you could be indwelt by him, so that you could love others with the love of Jesus that you now possess. If you struggle to love others, God's word says that it's possible that you're still living in the dark apart from Christ. As with Ryan's sermon last week, I just, I beg you to examine your heart. Maybe you need that love for the first time today. Or maybe like me, you just need a refresher. Maybe you just need a reminder of all that you have in him and all you have been given in him. As I have just been thinking about this all weekend, I realized it is so hard to live a hard, disconnected, selfish, unforgiving life when you are freshly aware of all that you have received and been given in Jesus. Maybe today, no matter what you may be struggling with, maybe God wants to remind you through Jesus this morning to in your soul, maybe today he has three words for you. Maybe today you just need to hear him say, I love you. For everyone in this room, these last words of Jesus to his disciples, to his little children, for every one of us, these are his last words to us who are also his little children. Will we heed them? How can I, how can you, how can we better love our brothers and sisters in Christ with the same love we have received? And when we do, will they out there Well, they know we are Christians by our love for each other. I pray that they will. I wanna have a moment of just a time just to pray. And I wanna give you quiet. I want you to wrestle with the quiet this morning. We don't have quiet in our lives ever. There's background noise for everything we do. I just want you to, have a moment just to go to the Lord. Maybe in this moment, you just wanna thank him and praise him for the love you have received. Maybe your heart is like my heart has been hard to that love. Maybe you need a reminder. Maybe you've never felt that love before. Maybe you're carrying so much stuff that you wonder how could he be sacrificial and selfless and unconditional and compassionate with someone like me. He is, it is his character. So I wanna just have a moment, a moment just to reflect on that. We will never love like Jesus calls us to love if we don't know that love in our own hearts.
and we'll just be going through the motions. So let's pray. I'm gonna pray, then we'll have a little time of quiet and then I'll come back up and close it out. God, your word says that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And God, I know that I'm probably not alone in this room in needing to repent of my lovelessness, to repent of my selfishness, needing to repent of my holding tight to the things that I value and the things that are precious to me. God, I pray that we as a body would be so overwhelmed by your kindness this morning, the kindness that you showed us in an an immeasurable way in the death of Jesus for us, in the magnitude of his love for us. God, no matter where any person is in this room, whether they may not be doing things that you approve of, But even if that is the case, your love for them does not change. You love them in the middle of their sin or in the middle of their victory. God, I pray in this moment that you would overwhelm us with a sense of how much you love us. God, I pray you would compel us to love each other in a way that is so different because it is you in us loving each other pray that the world would see something different in us. I pray you would open and soften our hearts this morning as you pour out your spirit on us and as you reveal your love to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.